Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to the Your Wealth podcast. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Many investors feel like they may have whiplash from watching market movements this year. And in all the noise, it's a bit easy to miss some of the big news. The biggest news probably uh, is that the NASDAQ, which is the tech-heavy index based in the US, is actually in the black for 2020. So when we think about how incredibly sharp and deep the falls of March and late February were, to consider that the you know, one of the biggest indices in the world is actually up over that period, despite the rallies, most are still in the red. It's incredible to consider that many of these mega cap constituents are now making record highs in the tech space. Four stocks, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon and Alphabet comprise over 20% of the S&P 500. So the S&P 500, as you can imagine, is 500 companies and yet four of them comprise over a fifth of that. Investors who haven't had exposure to these companies in particular have really badly lagged the global indices and their portfolios may have suffered quite a bit this year. So let's talk about these gorillas in the room. Kanish Chu from ETF Securities is joining me today to talk about whether investors can afford to ignore the tech titans. Kanish, thanks so much for joining me. No, thanks for having me, Gemma. So Kanish, generally I wouldn't talk product at the beginning of a podcast. We tend to leave that until a bit later if it's relevant at all. But you guys just launched uh, an ETF over the tech mega caps in March this year, just as the market had topped out and was starting to fall. And I'm sure you and many others felt that it was just not the greatest timing. And yet, tell me about the performance since market hit, since COVID hit the market. Yeah, so no, it, it was very interesting for us. Obviously, we launched um, as ETF securities. We've, we've you know, continued to expand the, the range of ETFs that we have in the market. And we launched a, a product. It's the ETF securities FANG Plus ETF, and the ASX code for that is FANG or F-A-N-G, so quite aptly named. Um, And it essentially gives exposure to the 10 most innovative quality mega caps um, in the tech-related sector, um, being the Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, Alibaba, Twitter, et cetera. Um, Performance-wise, it was interesting. So we launched it on the 27th of February, so listed um, uh, around that sort of that period of when the volatility was at its peak. Since the inception of the fund, it's returned 15.38%. Now, so that's positive. Now, if we looked at the S&P 500, which you mentioned before, that has returned since the exact same date, negative 2.75%. So um, it, it obviously has proven that a lot of the performance within the larger indexes, um, especially like the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ, are driven by these mega caps. And they've actually seen this COVID-19 period as an opportunity to grow and build. Um, So very interesting to to see that. And I think, you know, you talked about tech related. I I just wanted to, I guess, you know, we probably can talk about what is tech and what is technology? Because whilst these companies may have started off as technology-related companies, you talk about Apple, you know, the iPhones, et cetera, or we think of Google or Alphabet as the, the stock um, name is referred to as, you know, the, the search engine or Amazon as an online service. There, a lot of these companies aren't actually in the tech sector anymore. Um, you know, they've transcended technology. They're, they're bigger than what we, what we thought of them as. 
Yeah, um, I think you make a really good point. You know, they're enabled by technology and obviously technology is integral to their business, but that doesn't mean that uh, that they're purely technology stocks. You know, if I think about NabTrade, the technology to deliver what we deliver is absolutely critical. It's an online trading platform, but it's about trading. It's not about technology. So tell me which mega caps you've included in your index and why those ones in particular. Yeah, so the, the particular ETF, we're tracking the New York Stock Exchange FANG Plus Index. Now, that has been around for a number of years. Um, it's got a futures tracking behind it as well, and that's important with an ETF because it obviously means that spreads can be a little bit tighter than with an index that doesn't have a futures behind it. Um, but essentially, it's 10 stocks, as I mentioned, and it's equal weight. Now, that's important because... So this FANG ETF, it fits into what we like to call our future present range, and that includes our tech-focused ETF, TECH, um, which is just looking at the tech sector, our ETF on robotics and automation, Robo, and our biotechnology ETF, Cure, which has been very um, you know, topical of late given COVID-19, and also we've got a battery technology ETF in ACDC. Now, all these ETFs have equal weight. Now, why equal weight is important? It's important because we're essentially saying we're looking at for we want to provide investors an ability to invest in either a theme, a broad exposure, or a sector. We don't preface to say we believe one stock will do better than the other, and that is most important in this particular area where you're looking at ten stocks. Now, the ten stocks within the Fang ETF is Apple, Amazon. Alibaba, Netflix, Tesla, Alphabet or Google, Facebook, Twitter, Baidu and NVIDIA. Now, they're not your, I guess some of those names are traditional in the the FANG, but that's why it's FANG Plus. It's looking at highly quality, highly innovative companies and, you know, Baidu and Alibaba really fit that space and as do companies like Tesla and Netflix Um, and we're looking at Twitter as well. So it is companies that are really entrenched in their particular fields. Um, and if you just put some stats behind that, you know, Facebook is home to four of the seven most visited social media platforms in the world. Um, Amazon has about 38% of all US online retail sales. And you talk about Netflix and Netflix as a streaming disruptor, it's obviously put, you know, a lot of, um, it, it's really changed that whole television and movie industry um, and turned it on its head. And actually, over COVID-19, its subscription rate increased by 32% for ex-US membership. So in a period where companies like the airlines, traditional companies like banks, um, you know, bricks and mortar companies were really struggling, you saw these companies in this period prosper. And they're sitting on large cash balances as well. And that's really important is that they don't have high debt levels, a lot of them. Um, You know, when you looked at the the Facebooks and the Amazon and the Apples and the Netflix and the Googles, they were sitting at close to 500 billion plus of cash that they're actually now deploying. Um, so very interesting space to be in. Um, and for us, we wanted to give investors because they were sitting there on the sidelines going, well, I can take those stocks. I can either go direct. And yes, you can. And there's some complexities in terms of buying directly into the US. Um, and you, you would probably know more than I do, but, you know, you'd have to be up during the U.S. trading hours. You essentially have to fill out a WAPEN tax form because you're a U.S. investor. So there's a lot of complexities to it. But then also you may not be able to buy, you know, you may not have a large amount of capital to buy, you know, 
Amazon shares, you know, are trading, you know, $1,000, $2,000 per share and sort of you mainly be able to buy one share. So if you wanted to actually buy diversified exposure, you could go down the ETF path. Now, prior to the FANG ETF being around, you could have bought um, and you can still buy the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ 100 or, you know, even with our own range, more focused areas. But if you just wanted to take a view on the largest sort of 10 most innovative companies, how could you do that? without buying 90 other companies or 490 other companies or whatever it may be. So we wanted to give investors something that they're asking for, which was just a really concentrated exposure into this area. So I will say uh, now trade investors can invest directly in the US and you don't have to fill out a W8, Ben. It's one of the things that we've built into the platform is having QI status. So you don't have to do that. Oh, that's excellent. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But you do have to be up overnight, right? So you do need to be uh, sitting there ready to trade, uh, which is somewhat off-putting for quite a few people. And also just making the decision to invest directly is, is a tricky one. And most of our investors do prefer to stay focused uh, on the domestic market and get their international exposure that way. Uh, well, I, question I just, without notice. So I was just going to point out that I think it's really interesting for an investor, though, if they wanted to reduce the single stock risk. So if they have a view on one of these companies and they can buy that directly, such as via NAPTRADE, well, then they've got an ability to complement that exposure and diversify that away. So they can sort of say, well, I'll take the ETF for just this view on these companies, but then I actually may have a view specifically and I want to take an overweight in one or two of these names. And that's what they may use, you know, go direct or sort of it can complement each other quite well. I think that's where ETFs can really come in, come in, come in handy. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And our investors are very familiar with using ETFs as a, a clean and simple way to diversify their portfolios. So one of the challenges a lot of investors have had when they're looking at these these mega caps, and I'm calling them tech giants, you can tell me why they're not explicitly just in tech, um, is how expensive they are on a relative basis. They've traded on some just extraordinary multiples. And when you look at something like Netflix, it's never been profitable in the traditional sense. Can you talk to me about the PE of the portfolio now and how you would explain that to anyone who's unfamiliar with it? Yeah, sure. So, look, I think um, it's best to just define what PE is. Um, and in short, the PE ratio shows that the, what the market is willing to pay today for a stock based on its past or future earnings. So you can either do a forward PE or a, or a trailing PE, which is past. Um, now, I think the traditional fundamental metrics that we sort of consider, which is, you know, PE is one of those fundamental metrics, they're not necessarily the best way to measure value in FANG-style stocks. And a reason for that is a lot of these stocks actually reinvest a large portion of their cash flow back into their core business. And they use a lot of their operating cash flow to fund new ventures. So some of these firms and some of these ventures that they're looking to do could actually turn into incredible growth opportunities. And I'm going to put an example there when we're talking about the FANG stocks and they're quite aggressively reinvesting their cash flow to maintain their competitive advantage, to grow their reach and fund new ventures. So cash flow and not earnings per share actually makes for a better indicator of looking at their, you know, fundamental attractiveness in terms of whether they're looking cheap or expensive. And at the moment, if you were to take the price to cash flow, you would actually consider that they're trading quite well value. And um, the FANG ETF, as at the end of May um, 2020, 
had a price to cash flow ratio of 19.8. Now, what are some of these companies you know, potentially investing in? So an example there is Amazon. Now, Amazon has looked to grow its cloud service, you know, offering. Now, you know, for all of us, we essentially, especially since COVID-19, we've been, you know, all gone online, we're all working from home. Um, Amazon have actually built one of the largest cloud-based services in the world. And a number of the largest companies, including companies like Netflix, actually use AWS, which is Amazon Web Services. Now, Amazon Web Services accounts for roughly around 12% of Amazon's revenue. But had it not been reinvesting its cash flow into that particular venture, it may not have had this, you know, large growth you know, subsidiary or growth event engine in its in its um in its portfolio that could potentially you know propel it to even greater heights. And I think that's what we've seen with a lot of these companies, as I mentioned before. They're sitting on large cash balances. They're constantly putting money into R and D. They're not doing it necessarily out of debt. Um, a lot of them, and so some aren't, but majority aren't. And you know, what we're wanting to see is companies that are constantly trying to innovate. And that's what you see with these companies here. So that's why I'd say a lot of a lot of fundamentally would say PE. That's the best way to you know value a stock. I'd say with the Fang style names, such as and, and this particular ETF as well, using PE may be a bit of a flawed metric. I think it, you know there's been a lot of talk about growth versus value investing over the last decade, really, and it's hard to feel that you've been vindicated as a value investor over that period. You know, most of our investors understand trying to buy stocks cheaper than their fundamental value uh, or their intrinsic value. And they see that uh, as a way to ensure that there's upside. And yet the upside seems to be there for these really fast growing companies consistently. It's quite extraordinary. Um, Some of them like Amazon, you know, continue to reward investors with amazing innovations and uh, and certainly profit growth as well, which is quite nice to see. Has it surprised you how well it's performed in this environment? Um, I, no, it hasn't surprised me because, you know, we've talked to a lot of clients recently about what is the definition of blue chip. Um, in Australia, we sometimes, you know, think of blue chip as the banks, as, you know, the you know, the BHPs, the RIOs, you know, very, very traditional financial and resource companies and companies that pay high dividends and, you know, that's our definition of blue chip. But um, what I would actually say is the new definition of blue chip is these companies. We need to sometimes take that lens of the tech boom that occurred 25, 30 years ago in, 20, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. We need to take this idea that these are, you know, they're growth plays, but they're growth plays that are entrenched in our lives and entrenched in the future development of, of the world and, and our human consumer behavior. And so very much they're showing, you know, there, there was someone put it out there, are these companies, are the FANG style stocks recession proof? And we've actually, you know, this current environment that we've had, the volatility that we've had and, you know, the, the current recession that we're, we're in has been a little bit, uncharacteristic in terms of other recessions that we've had because of the way in which it was brought about. Um, what I would say is in this current period, we've seen these companies really just try to grow. 
Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has come out and said specifically, this is the time to grow, this is the time to build, we are going to take this as an opportunity. And you've seen that across the board. You've seen that with Facebook bringing some of their services and products forward rather than delaying them. Um, you know, so they had a e-gaming streaming service that they wanted to bring out towards the end of this year. They felt, no, we can try to do that. There's a better opportunity now to bring that forward. So let's put some more money into it and bring that out sooner rather than later. We've seen Facebook as well on that actually start to expand into emerging markets. So they made an acquisition in India, for example, for 10% of one of the largest telecom serve providers over in India. So they now own 10% of this telecom provider. And when you think about Facebook getting into that telecom space, so that they're moving into areas that we traditionally would view as infrastructure, but they're looking at it from a perspective of, well, we have all this internet-based you know, social media platforms, WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, tying up with the largest or one of the largest telecom-based providers in the large, most populous country in the world. Well, that's only going to be an opportunity in the long term. Um, and they're also looking at e-payment software as our Amazon, as our Alibaba with Alipay. Um, so, you know, I'd actually safe to say that this period has shown that these companies are really there for the long term. And when you think about our day-to-day lives, you know, we're constantly using some form of service or product or, you know, offering that is, that is provided by these fang style names. So you've partly answered my next question, to be honest, which was, you know, one of the big themes of the shutdowns forced upon us by COVID was that tech was so well established and well positioned. So long as it was a well established business, I think, you know, for new tech, uh, it's very difficult to get a foothold at any point in time. Uh, Whereas the ones that we were already using, you know, the uplift was dramatic right when you're at home you shop online when you are at home you watch a hell of a lot of netflix we've all had a lot of zoom meetings do you think those trends are likely to continue or do you think that there's going to one of the hypotheses i've been hearing is that people actually be quite desperate to get back into a shopping center you know to go and see people in person they've been missing that personal interaction and that online will be uh that it was sort of a time-bound experience. <laughs> We'd prefer to go back to uh, to interacting personally. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, th- I think it's pro- probably brought forward the adoption a lot of the um, – so the, this technology that it's been around, so we've had this for a number of years, you know, some of the technology, the, the ability for us to buy goods on Amazon or, you know, do FaceTime and video conferencing. I know especially within our firm at ETF Securities, you know, we had the ability to do – um, video meetings. Now, whether we actually did them is a different story, but we were now forced to. Now, that will change the way in which we work moving forward. So I don't think it'll be a complete switch to how it was before, um, but I think we'll be taking on new behaviours that we've learned and the ability to be more efficient. And you talk about, you know, just the social media. So across the world, social media usage was up. It was worldwide in March alone. It was up by about 44%. So that's, you know, people using more Facebook, Instagram, Twitter as a way in which to either consume just, you know, cat videos or, you know, you're taught or you're thinking about the way in which actually consume news. And I know to a lot of people that was the way in which they were able to keep up to date with what was happening 
with COVID-19. Then you talk about the messaging services. So, again, I think what COVID-19 and the, the lockdowns and everything, it's just created this catalyst for us to try to adopt the technology that was already around. So messaging services was up about 45%. So in line with social media, so messaging services being Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, et cetera, using them to then have video calls or using them to do, you know, having group chats, whatever it may have been. And then you've also seen on a corporate side, things like Microsoft Teams, Zoom, WebEx, um, Facebook's come in to, to try and have their own version of um, sort of a, a work conferencing solution as well. So you've just seen that massively increase. And it's actually, in you think about in developing nations, so I, I come to India because, you know, talking around the impact that COVID-19's had. But over April, they did a survey um, with about 9,000 respondents and it was an online survey and they found that, there was about just over 30% would use more digital payments and less cash. And this is a country that is inherently been reliant upon cash payments, physical cash payments that are now saying, I'm comfortable to be able to buy online. And I think that will change the way in which these companies, uh, these countries and consumer behaviour moving forward changes. So it's not going to go back to what it was, but it's actually going to start to edge towards what it, what it should be doing using the technology that we already have. And I think that's a great place to be. Um, and we've seen that just on something like a Tesla. So you talk about electric vehicles and the adoption and trying to be more sustainable and trying to be more environmentally friendly. I think it's safe to say if you had asked majority, you know, out of 10 people you walk down the street, you ask 10 people 20 years ago, would you buy a battery vehicle, a battery-powered car? The majority of them would have said, no, I'm not that sort of person. I'm not into, I'm not sort of, you know, uh, I'm not into that area. I, I don't. I just want. I want to have a petrol engine. I want to have a. You know. I, I want. To, I want to hear the engine. I want to. I want all of that. You know, your car buffs. Now, if you ask those same ten people, I don't know. This is just my own personal view, but I would su- suffice to say, I'd, I'd probably say about you know more than fifty percent would be comfortable to be owning an electric vehicle. And now, majority of manufacturers that are tilting towards actually going completely electric at some point in time in the future. So, you know, it. Things like this, which just force us to change the way we view things, um, the way we view the world, the way we view, the way we, we live our lives, uh, I think can only be a positive going forward. I think your point about electric vehicles is quite interesting. I know a lot of people who would like to own a Tesla and their, their primary objection is price. And when price becomes the objection, then it's just about ensuring that the price comes down over time rather than, uh, than whether or not they're okay with the technology or they actually like the kind of vehicle that's available. They've, um, they've done a very good job of making the vehicle appealing to people and the technology appealing, and now it's just making it cheap enough for people to want to buy it. Um, so one thing that I did want to discuss is, and this is it's a very real and live issue. I should timestamp this, by the way. So we're recording on the 30th of June, which is always an interesting date to record anything, the last day of the financial year. Um, so it will be around two weeks before this podcast is published. If the market absolutely collapses, uh, then, <laughs> then we might have, to, uh, might have to rethink it or certainly uh, take it as a point in time. But one, one thing that I'm hearing every day from investors is that they're very nervous about the recent rallies. So they, they understood the reasons that the market collapsed so quickly, right? There were some 
fundamental reasons to be a bit jittery about the heights that were reached in markets in February anyway. And then when COVID hit, they could see a reason for the collapse, even though it was quite terrifying. The rallies have been so sharp and and so enthusiastic. You know, people have come back into the market so quickly. A lot of them are a bit nervous. They feel like the return to normal on markets is not reflected in reality, certainly not in the economy. They're pretty nervous about that, and a lot of them are feeling they need some downside protection in their portfolios in case there is another leg down. Can you talk to me about what your guys' thoughts are on that? Yeah, so this is an interesting area. So obviously, um, you know, in this market and with the volatility, we've actually seen a really big um, increased usage in what you know short products and leveraged ETFs. So short ETFs and leveraged ETFs. Now um, that's been you know interesting from our perspective because we've seen that as saying, okay, well, the ETF market is starting to mature. Investors are starting to to use the ETFs that are available to them. And for us at ETF Securities, we actually are very close to launching and I'm hoping by the time this podcast goes live in two weeks, we will have launched um, two new ETFs in the market and they are the ETF Securities Ultra Long NASDAQ 100 Hedge Fund and the code for that will be LNAS, or LNAS, um, as we call it internally. Or the and we're also launching the ETF Securities Ultra Short Nasdaq 100 Hedge Fund and the ASX code for that will be SNAS. Now, essentially, what we're trying to do, and as you mentioned, you know, looking for downside protection or to you know really how we see it is being giving investors the ability to trade their conviction. So for certain clients and certain investors, that's what we're seeing is that they want to take a view on the markets and, and how they're and how the, you know, with the volatility that's occurred. Um, and there was products and there are products currently available for them to do that um, around the Australian market, but also around the S&P 500. But we wanted to take it the, the next to, to another area, which was the NASDAQ 100, which, you know, we're talking about technology, we're talking about tech indexes, we're talking about the bank style stocks. And, you know, the NASDAQ is that broader view on that, on those particular names. And for an ability for an investor to take that downside protection, um, we wanted to launch that ultra short NASDAQ 100 hedge fund. So the SNAS fund there. Now, these funds, as I mentioned, we're hoping to launch by the time this podcast is launched, is, is released. Um, so hopefully, hoping to listen to the second week of July. Um, and both of these ETFs are charging a management fee of 1% per annum. Now, with geared or leverage ETFs um, such as LNAS, um, we just need to preface that they need to be used in the appropriate way. So we don't see these types of products generally being used for long-term investors um, and long-term holdings. And the reason is, is that level of gearing that's internal to within the fund that that, that can sort of play on the performance of, of the fund. So it's not as simple as you're buying the S and P five hundred and the S and P five hundred goes up by ten percent. Therefore, my holdings go up by ten percent. So investors just need to be wary around the structure of these funds. Um, and what we see them being used is really to gain short term market exposure. So it's ability for them to add for investors to amplify. The returns, they require less capital to be committed up front than traditional investments, and that's what makes them more attractive. Now, on top of that, we're actually um, providing a hedging on both of these funds. So both of these funds will be hedged. So that we're trying to eliminate that currency volatility 
that will exist between the US dollar and the Australian dollar as well. So it's a, it's also providing a, a hedged exposure on, on the underlying as well. So final question for you then, because I think it's a really, it's a really interesting opportunity. And when I look at our investor base, they have certainly suddenly over the last three months started using short and leveraged ETFs for exactly the purpose you talk about, to take short-term positions. They've been very active in them. Uh, they've used them very effectively is probably the best way of putting it. They did it because they had a view on where the market was going in the short term. The market's always been incredibly volatile. So it's been quite uh, you know, for opportunities, opportunistic and quick investors, it's been a good time. Uh, and a lot of them have used ETFs really effectively during that period and the short and leverage have given them an opportunity to get in and out quite quickly. Uh, thoughts on whether people are likely to be more bullish or bearish? You've given them both choices. Yeah, and I guess it'd be worthwhile just to make sure we explain that what long and short means as well. So in case anyone has any sort of questions around this right now, if you're buying a long position, it means you're hoping your, the buyer hopes to experience a gain when the market rises. And if you're buying a short position, it means that the buyer hopes to experience gains when the market falls. Um, and I think that's that, that's the key point there is they're taking a view on that. So for us at, at ETF Securities, we want to make sure that we give all the tools for investors and, and these are trading tools and, and, and as how we see them. Um, and so an investor can trade their conviction accordingly. Um, and, and with that, I guess, you know, talking about these should be used within for sophisticated investors, but they should be used in that short term for the short term market exposure. So why that may be is, you know, a geared ETF, so something like the LNAS or LNAS, um, which is the, the ultra long NASDAQ 100 hedge fund, you know, they're not recommended as long-term buy and hold investments because they essentially relate to the compounding and rebalancing. So the effects of that, that, that compounding and rebalancing occur. So for a short-term holder, owning an ETF such as LNAS, which targets a leverage of between 2 to 2.75 times, the outcomes are relatively well-defined on that based on that performance of the underlying market. So the underlying market for that particular ETF is the NASDAQ 100. So it, it just needs to, you know, you need to take that into account that over a longer period, the outcome may not be as clear. So making sure... You know, when investors are considering these types of products, you know, really do your research, really understand how you position them in a portfolio. It's either as a short-term ability for you to take that view on that particular, you know, outcome that you're after, or it's to take a short-term hedge within your portfolio based on your other positions as well. And that's the other way to consider it. So thoughts on whether people are likely to want to go long or short? Um, <laughs> for us, you know, we don't have a particular view. Um, I think the current market, I think it, the current market has, you know, it's, it jumps around like a bit of a kangaroo at the moment. Um, you know, you, you saw a lot of those, you know, experts coming out saying, is it going to be a U-shape, a V-shape recovery? Are we going to see a W? What we've seen at the moment is this sort of just hopping up and down. Um, so, you know, from where we sit, if we can give the investors a take either view, um, that, 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 that's really what, what we're hoping to do. Um, so for us, you know, we've got the more traditional view, which is that FANG ETF, um, and now we're looking to launch these, these two exposures where they, if they wanted to take the, the long or the short, that they can do that. It's sort of, it's, it's, I guess, that they've got now a, a variety of options available to them. I like it. 
Can this ETF securities, you guys produce a lot of great content and, you know, ETFs were a relatively new product a while ago and now it's something that people are fairly familiar with, but the products get more interesting and more complex. Where do people go to find out more about what you do? Yeah, sure. So best place to go is etfsecurities.com.au. Um, on our website, we're, we're constantly redeveloping it. We're producing more content. I think since we've been in lockdown, we've done we've done a lot more content um, and really relevant information as well. And Gemma, I think you were on one of our partner series videos um, last week. So thank you so much for, for participating in that. Um, but that's an example there where we actually, you know, we, we launched a new range called the partner series. You know, we've got industry experts talking about different things. You know, we've, we've, we've covered, you know, the impact that dividend cuts will have on um, people's portfolios and where they can find yield. We've talked about, you know, what is the definition of a blue chip name or the best investment strategy or where, you know, what are investors currently buying. Um, and then we've also got some very good, useful, just agnost- product agnostic information. So an example there is our... ETF newsletter. Um, it's a markets newsletter. It's updated every week and it's sent out and it's also on our website, but it just shows you in you know, the top and bottom performers in the ETF market by performance, but also by volume and flow. So you can actually see where money is going into and out of in the Australian market. And then we have a monthly newsletter and a range of other information. But what I would say is anytime you have a question around just ETFs in general, you know, feel free to contact the ETF securities team. We're always available um, during market hours. Um, or if it's a trading, you know, query, there's a number there specifically for trading queries as well. And we're happy to help in any way. Ken Nish from ETF Securities, thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you so much, Gemma. Thank you so much for listening now. As always, we do love to hear from you. So if there are any topics you'd like to hear more about, and we're getting a lot of requests at the moment, or guests you'd like to hear from, please just email your suggestions to yourwealth at nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.